The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Ephesians chapter 1? Let me just say right at the onset of this message that I am not superstitious. I don't have one superstitious bone in my body. You realize that 70% of the world's population are superstitious? Maybe even more than 70%. But, uh, but there are many superstitions. And, and, and you say, well, I'm not superstitious, but I believe in luck. Well, you're superstitious because luck is a superstition. And, uh, you know, the amazing thing is that a lot of Christian countries are superstitious. A lot of Muslim countries are superstitious. In Italy, they have Umalok, the evil eye. And uh, how many of you have heard of Umalok, or the evil eye? And, and so, they, so, so with superstition, you've got to ward off the evil eye. And so what you'll find with a lot of Italians, they, they've got a little gold horn. It's called a cornicello. Or they have it on their watch, a little gold horn. It's just to ward off the evil eye. And uh, there's all sorts of ways to ward off the evil eye or to ward off things that would cause you to fail. And superstition is right across the world. But you know what? I don't believe in superstition. I've got no problems on going out on Friday the 13th. I don't feel that Friday the 13th is a day that I've got to lock myself up because something bad. I've got no problems with walking under ladders if I have to. Okay? I don't carry a rabbit's foot. I let rabbits carry their own feet. I try to leave them on rabbits rather than stick them in my pocket. Don't have a horse's hoof. I don't, uh, you know, I, I've got no problems with, with, with numbers or days. I, I'm just not superstitious. I certainly don't have any Buddhas in my home. I might look a little bit like Buddha with my belly at the moment, but I'm believing for a tablet that will reduce <laughs> my stomach, cause the swelling in my stomach to reduce. Wouldn't you like a tablet like that? But no, I think it's called eating less and exercising more. Is that right? So, so I, 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 I don't believe in idols to try to bring me luck. Matter of fact, if there's anything in my home that even remotely looks like an idol, then I'm not interested in having it in my home. Why is that? Because I don't believe that anything like that brings me blessing or brings me luck or brings me good fortune. I don't believe in that, but let me tell you what I do believe. I believe that God is the God of blessing. I believe in blessing. I don't believe in superstition. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in fortune, but I believe in blessing. Does anybody else believe in blessing? And you know what? I pray blessing upon people. What a wonderful thing to say, God bless you. What a wonderful thing it is to pray blessing upon people. And before you leave this morning, I don't pray blessing upon you. You've come to a place this morning where we believe in blessing. We pray for blessing. But you know what? I'm going to teach you on how to get blessed. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles and you open it up to Ephesians chapter 3, I want to talk about the fourth type of biblical blessing. Last week I spoke on three types of biblical blessing. 
and this morning I'm going to get to the fourth one. But last week, just to recap, I talked about the blessing of obedience that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 to 6. God talked to the children of Israel and said, if you obey me, then I will bless you. The second blessing that we talked about last week was the commanded blessing. In Psalm 133, the Bible says that where the brethren, where God's people dwell together in unity, there God commands a blessing. And so you better make sure that you've got unity in your home if you want blessing in your home. If you haven't got unity in your home, then find ways to get unity in your home because if you get unity in your home, God commands a blessing. You get unity in the church, God commands a blessing. You get community and, and, and unity in community, you get blessing. Wherever you live, make sure that there's unity if you want the commanded blessing. And the third one we spoke about last week were the showers of blessing. And the showers of blessing come out of generosity. As we are generous to the work of God and people and others, then God opens the windows of heaven and pours out blessings that we can't contain. How many of you want showers of blessing to fall and rain upon your home? Well, understand that it's found in generosity, being generous to God and others. This week, I want to talk about the in Christ blessing. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's read from verses 3 to 6. This is what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Let's stop there. This is called the in Christ blessing. There's a blessing that is reserved for those who are in Christ. How many of you know there's a difference between being in Christ and out of Christ? See, a lot of people believe in Christ, but they've not made the decision to actually be in Christ. How do you get in Christ? By simply making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. By simply opening up your heart and allowing Jesus to dwell on the inside of you and change you and then he is in you and you are in him and so in order to be in Christ Christ needs to be in you if Christ is in you and you have that hope of glory then the transformation comes and you are in Christ now Jesus wants us to understand that kingdom of God people who don't, they don't, don't fellowship with works of darkness, but they are God lovers. And so I just love that term, God lover, because that's what I am. Is there anyone here that's unashamedly a God lover? Give me a wave if you're a God lover. Are you a God lover? Because that makes you different to the God blasphemers or the God unbelievers or the God philosophers. 
How many of you know there's a lot of God philosophers out there, but they're not necessarily God lovers? But you know what? When I find a God lover, there's like, there's a magnetism. There's something in me that gets attracted to the God in you. And I just love hanging out with God lovers. I just love being in the presence of people that passionately love God. That passionately love them. And so, and so that's why worship is so important to us. See, if you're a God lover, you love worship. If you don't like worship, then you need to continue doing your journey from God knowledge to God love. Because once you get into God love, you just love to be in his presence. You just love to be with him. And there's something wonderful about worshiping God. That's the God. That's, that's the people that are in Christ. They are a different breed. They are not just nominal Christians. I was talking to someone the other day about a nominal Christian. What's a nominal Christian? Well, some people are born into the Christian faith. And so they're Christians because their parents were Christians, their grandparents were Christians, and it's on their passport. They are Christians. And so they, they do all the ritual of Christianity. They learn the catechism. They learn the theology. But it's all up here and nothing in here. See, what I'm talking about is not just having the theology of Christianity. I'm talking about having the passion of God. That's what we Pentecostals are all about. That's what makes us Pentecostals very, very different. You can go to Christian churches all over the world and sit there and watch an observance, sing a few songs, and you're out of there. But you can't come to one of our churches without getting emotional, without hearing someone emotional, without seeing people emotional. You're seeing love, and love is an emotional thing. And I hear people clapping today because they're emotional God-lovers. And if that's you, you better make it a big one, a big clap for Jesus. So the in Christ blessing is this. First of all, every spiritual blessing is yours. Blessed be the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Too often we are so busy looking for physical blessings that we miss the richness of spiritual blessings. I hear a lot of teaching on prosperity where the focus is all on physical blessing. But this scripture is not about being blessed with every physical blessing. It's about being blessed with every spiritual blessing. And how many of you know there's a big difference between the spiritual blessing and the physical? Now, don't get me wrong. I want to have physical blessings. Is there anybody else that wants physical blessings? But this scripture is not a promise of physical blessing. This is a scripture with a promise of spiritual blessing. And I really believe that too often, too often we miss the wonder of spiritual blessing because we're too focused on physical blessing. Let me talk to you about what spiritual blessing is. I'll never forget my first missions trip to India. It was 1987. How many of you were born? How many of you weren't even born in 1987? 
I went to India for the very first time. And I went to a little church up north of Hyderabad. And it was a little town called Nizamabad. And it was one of the outreaches of Nizamabad. And so to get to this church, you had to literally get on a dirt road and just go for miles out into, the, into their bush. And when I got there, I was, I was the preacher that Sunday. I, uh, I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed by the fact that people had literally walked two days to come to that service that morning. Two days. They walked. They didn't catch a bus because there's no bus to catch. They walked. I looked at that congregation and every single one of them were clean. Their face was clean. Their hands were clean. Every one of them had washed before they came into the building. Why? Because they were dusty. And so there were wash houses outside the church for them to wash themselves. And so their faces were all glowing. And, and the place was packed. There was hardly, I was sitting on a chair, but everybody else was sitting on a floor. We're talking about a rock floor with just this little thin mat on top of a rock floor. And they were sitting there. And when the pastor said at the time for the church to start, let's praise the Lord, the roof lifted off the place. I'm talking about a shout lifted in that place. It reverberated and something hit me in my chest. It was like I was literally bowled over. I started to weep. Why was I weeping? Because I saw a congregation of people that when it comes to our definition of physical blessing, they weren't really physically blessed that well. But spiritual blessing, these people were rich, incredibly rich. When the offering time came, there were two, it was, there were, there were two things at the front, two, two barrels. It was like two barrels at the front. One barrel was for money and the other barrel was for rice. And so some of the people that came to that church service that morning had no money. And, but they wanted to give and the best thing that they could give was some rice. And so this was their culture. They understood the power of giving but they didn't have money to give. We're, we're talking about poor people that in our mind, we estimate them as poor. But when I sat there that morning, I felt that they were rich. I felt they were incredibly rich. Why? Because they understood spiritual blessing. What spiritual blessing? Can I tell you what, what spiritual blessing is? To have faith is a spiritual blessing. You, you've got no idea how blessed you are if you have faith. You've got no idea how blessed you are if you just... Look at a little butterfly and say, God, you're so good. Because too many people look at a butterfly and say, evolution, you are wonderful. I look at a butterfly and say, God, you are magnificent. How many of you look at a bird or a butterfly or a little baby and say, God, you're magnificent? You've been blessed with faith. How many of you have hope? See, we don't live in, oh, the end of the world is coming. We're all going to die. 
We live with this hope. Well, if the end of the world comes, fantastic, because we live with Jesus forever and ever. And walk the streets of gold and get to worship him. See, we've got hope. What an incredible blessing that is. Love. Love. Unconditional. Sacrificial. Love. How beautiful is that? What a gift. What a spiritual gift is the gift of love. What a beautiful thing. It was yesterday, Anne and I were invited to go to Sammy, Sammy's wedding. Sammy was one of our youth leaders, and it was just so beautiful to see her so in love. And I just love weddings. I just love to see the passion that the bride and the groom have for each other. It's the first day of their life. They really haven't got a whole bunch of baggage that some people that have been married for lots of years have and their eyes are just (sighs) and when they say you may kiss the bride it's like I'm going to gobble her up you know come on what is that what is that that's see that's that's sacrificial love that's learnt to carry no baggage and wouldn't it be great if we could go through life being able to press the reset button and starting afresh and just getting rid of all the baggage and just loving afresh. Wouldn't it be awesome if every day you could wake up and you press the reset button, leave all the baggage behind, but keep all the good things so that your love just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. What a lot of people do is that they press the reset on the good things, forget them and just carry the baggage from one year to the next year And all that happens is that life becomes dreadful. And what God wants to do is to bless you with love where you can forgive and show grace and and just be able to have a reset button that you can press and you get rid of all the old rubbish and you just carry into the new day all the good stuff and you just grow in love one to another. Joy is another spiritual blessing. Contentment. What an incredible word contentment is. And you know what? We've got to fight society that is constantly trying to make us discontent. How many of you know that every time you switch on that television, there is a commercial to try to make you discontent? That's the insidiousness of society and marketing and materialism is that we can't stay content with what we've got because we don't have the latest and the greatest and the biggest and the best. And what a miserable way to live life rather than being grateful for what you have, being discontent with what you don't have. One of the great spiritual blessings that God wants to give us is contentment, relationship with God. What a wonderful spiritual blessing that is. Discerning and understanding. Forgiveness, a clean conscience. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to have a clean conscience. So you're not walking around stooped, carrying guilt your whole life. Can I just say something to every single person in this auditorium? You can't go through life without someone doing something bad to you. You can't go through life without inadvertently doing something bad to someone else. 
But it's at the foot of the cross. It's at the cross where Jesus died that there's a big reset button. There's, there's a big, let's start a new button. Let's take all of that guilt that you're carrying. When, when, I, when I was a teenager, we had this song, lay your burden down. Lay your burden down. Take your burdens to the foot of the cross and lay your burdens down. And that's the beauty of coming to Jesus. You've got your burdens. You've got your guilt. You've got the bad stuff that's happened to you. Whether others have done it to you or whether you've done it to others, you come to the cross and Jesus removes it and he cleanses you and your conscience is clean. You're set free. You're able to walk high. Your head goes high. Your shoulders go back. You've been re- released. You've been washed. He's cleansed you. He's sanctified you. He's justified you. He started a new in your life. Oh, what an incredible spiritual blessing that is. So whatever you do, when Jesus takes it off you, don't you go putting it back. Because it's an amazing thing as you go around the corner, the enemy seems to have, 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 have gotten all of your baggage all of your guilt, all of your stuff, and he's there. Oh, incidentally, you forgot this at the cross. I'm just here to remind you to take it back. And you just got to look him in the eye and spit right into it and say, no, no, I'm not taking it back. That's where it belongs, at the foot of the cross, under the blood of Jesus, dealt with, forgiven, never to be confronted ever again. A clean conscience. How awesome is that? Every spiritual blessing. I love that. I could go on and on all day on that. Let me tell you the second blessing that's in Christ is the blessing of holiness. Everybody say holiness. This is what it says in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Now the beautiful thing is this, is that God makes us holy. We don't make ourselves holy. When he takes that guilt, when he takes that sin, when he takes that rubbish off us, he at that point declares us holy, without blame. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? That God declares you without blame? That God takes away your guilt. And at that moment, he makes you holy. Our problem is this, is that we want to make ourselves holy. And you can't. And believe it or not, the basis of every religion is the basis of you trying to make yourself holy. And so, so, so karma is about you got to do good to get good. And so... The gooder you are, the gooder you get. And so it's about you. And you know what? When I was a kid growing up, it carried into Christianity. And it carried into this whole works thing that you've got to make yourself holy. You've got to do, and you've got to abide all these rules. And so it was all about rule keeping. It was all about if you abide by these rules then you make yourself good. And the Old Testament was very, very much like that. But even they got to a point where nobody could keep the rules. Nobody could get to the end of the year saying, 
I didn't break one rule. I'm holy. And so God says, listen, I know that. So what I'll do is this, is that by the end of the year, we'll press the restart button, the reset button again. And so what we'll do is this, is that we'll get an animal, we'll get a lamb, a pure lamb or a goat, and what we do is that we lay hands upon that animal and we transfer, hello, we transfer all of our guilt, we transfer all of our sins onto that animal. And then we kill the animal because that animal then pays the penalty. Now people are starting to freak out right now. They're starting to say, what, killing animals? Innocent animals? Yeah, that's what the Old Testament talked about. That when you transferred your guilt into that animal, that animal was no longer innocent and now became guilty. And the blood was shed to pay the penalty for your sins. And then God says, now listen, that, that, that blood of animals and goats doesn't take away sin perpetually. So what I'll do is that I'll send my son, the pure lamb of God. He said, I've heard that statement before. Yes, it relates to the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb. That all of you Asians understand and when you come to Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year, that you've got to paint the lintels and put red somewhere. Get red out. Come on, red envelopes, red letters, red something. Just get red out. What does it signify? It signifies blood. It signifies sacrificial blood. It signifies cleansing blood. What God did is said, I'll take my son, my only son, my innocent son, and we'll transfer all of your guilt, all of your sin onto Jesus. And then we will crucify him and his blood gets shed on behalf of your guilt, your sin, so that the reset button can be pressed in your life and you start a fresh, holy blameless, without spot or wrinkle. Is that the greatest story that's ever been told? There is no greater story. And oh, how wonderful it is to be a messenger of that story. I never get tired of telling it. I've been telling it now for over three decades. And every time I tell it, it moves me. Every time I tell it, it causes me to rise up with compassion and love for those that have not heard it and say, Oh God, we got to take this message out to the millions and millions of people who do not know that through the blood of Jesus, they can become holy. Now, let me quickly talk to you about two things, positional holiness and progressive holiness. Can I talk to you about these two things? Because I think I need to clarify some things here. Because I think there's some teaching that just focuses in on the positional holiness and not the progressive holiness. So let me talk to you about positional. When you give your life to Jesus... The Bible says you are justified. In other words, positionally, it's as if you've never sinned. Your sins are totally forgiven and God looks at you through the eyes of Jesus. So there's a filter that comes onto your life. And when God looks at you, it's like you're seeing Jesus. How awesome is that? Everybody say, isn't that awesome? So when he looks at you, it's like he sees Jesus, holy, blameless. 
But then there's progressive holiness. There's this progressive sanctification. And so we're all trying to get more and more like Jesus. Even though God sees us like Jesus, we still are working towards becoming like him. Has there anyone succeeded that, that, that you have reached that place where you were just like Jesus? Is there anyone that succeeded? Because I've been at it for over 30 years now, and I still haven't quite got there. Anne will testify to that. She'll say a big amen to that. No, she won't. She's so beautiful. But I know myself that there's still things that I'm working on. There are still things that, that displease me about me. There are still things about me where I'm thinking, man, I shouldn't have lost my temper on that. That's just ridiculous. One of the hardest things that I combat with are my garden tools. I'm telling you, there is nothing more frustrating than a garden tool that doesn't work for me. Does anybody identify with that? Oh, my goodness. It's like the man, the flesh rises up, and, and I'm thinking, where is that nature coming from? I thought that was crucified, but it just rises up, and I've just got to say, I, I, I declare you dead. I've just got to, Lord, forgive me. Help me, Lord, not to have that thing rise up on the inside of me because I, I, I just want to be like Jesus. So, but the wonderful thing about God is that he sees me like Jesus, but I need to work through so that I become. So there's positional and progressive. And we've got to keep those two things in tension because what happens is that you, you will hear a lot of teaching on positional. And, and, and if you just get there, then there's no motivation for you to become more and more like Jesus. Whoa, we're all under grace and I'll do whatever I want to do and, and I'm under grace and God forgives me. No, no, no. There's expectations upon you now that you're under grace. There's responsibility upon you now that you're under grace. And your responsibility doesn't save you. You've already been saved. But your responsibility changes you into the image of Christ. And that's so important for us to keep those two things in tension and understand that you're already saved. You can't force God to love you any more than he already loves you. If you win the whole world to Jesus, you can't get him to love you any more than he already loves you. You're already loved. But then... Upon us, there's a responsibility saying, you know what? He's done this for me. I want to do all that I can to please him. Let me tell you the third blessing. And the third blessing is the blessing of sonship. And I want to finish on this. Having predestined us to adoption, in verse 5 it says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. We are adopted into the family of God. Professor John Murray says adoption is the apex of redemptive blessing. It doesn't get better than adoption. See, three words that describe what Christ did for us. First word is regeneration. Regeneration focuses on God, the creator. And he makes us like new. Regeneration. We get the reset button pressed. We're brand new again. God the creator. He's able to do that. Then there's another word that describes what Christ did for us. And that's justification. Whereas regeneration, redemption, points to God the creator. What we have in justification, it points to God the judge. Who forgives us 
and gives us an unblemished record. How wonderful is that? How wonderful. How many of you have been embarrassed by some things that you've done throughout your entire life? Do you know that, that when you were justified, that's removed from your record? It's totally removed from your record. And it will never, ever confront you again. That God's removed it from your record, put blood on it, so that it's never, ever confronted again. It will never be brought up again. And then adoption. This is the third word that describes what Christ did for us. And you go from God the Creator, God the Judge, to God the Father. And so it's not just about starting again and getting a clean record. It's being brought into the family. I just want you to get hold of this because he brings you into his family. He places you into the family of God. (laughs) Get hold of this. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8. Verses 16 to 17, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ. Oh, come on. Let me say it again. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 to 17 says, The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Children of God. And if children, then heirs. Do you understand what an heir is? An heir is someone who gets the inheritance. An heir is someone who belongs to the family. An heir is someone that can go to the fridge, open it up and get anything that they want. How good is that? Just go to the fridge. Whatever's there is yours. You're an heir. When I go to my mum's place, she says, you're home, son. Whatever you want's yours. I can go to any fridge, any cupboard, whatever. Open it up. And whatever's there is mine. I'm an heir. Her attitude is, I don't want to give it to you when I die. I want to give it to you now. Whatever you want's yours. It's yours. It belongs to you. It's yours. And if we as earthly parents can feel like that towards our children, how much more, Father God? So this is what he says. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Can you understand the elevation? Can you understand that when God looks at us and he looks at Jesus, he says, you're joint heirs with Christ. You've been brought into the family. It's not just a matter of your sins being forgiven. It's not just a matter of you getting a new start. It's an understanding that you are now part of the family of God. Part of the family of God. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? Oh, that's why I'm a God lover. Because he's my father. He's he's not just my savior. He hasn't just forgiven me, but he's adopted me. And you got to understand that when Paul was writing about adoption, it was, in his mind, Roman adoption. And Roman adoption was when you get adopted, you start 
afresh. It's like you're born into this family and you have the same rights as a birth child. Totally same rights as a birth child. Every now and then, watch Ben-Hur. Fantastic movie. As old as me. It was made in 1959. 53. Well, it'd be 53 coming up. But the beauty of Ben-Hur was that he was adopted into the family and became as a birth child. And that's what God does with us, adopts us into the family and we get the same privileges as Christ. Joint heirs, joint heirs. Can you beat that? I don't think you can. I don't believe in superstition. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in fortune. But I believe in blessing. Blessing. Blessing, opening myself up to the blessing of God. So you've got two choices today. You say, what? These are the two choices you've got. You can either stay in your sin and rebellion and stay away from God. Or you can choose to be in Christ. Because as soon as you choose to be in Christ, you receive the blessings that are in Christ. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 